It's not a product, it's a technology. It's an education challenge. A regenerative suspension. There will be a growing demand for industrial photovoltaics. Tom Tiger. Innovation in the financing space. The high-speed train is in all our interests. All political lines. Australia is a solar paradise. The market is moving much faster than that. You've got something that's transformational. Solar window in a can. Beyond Zero. Global warming science, solutions and action. Taking it to a do-it-yourself level. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Beyond Zero show. We're coming to you from the studios of 3CR Melbourne, syndicated around Australia on the Community Radio Network and podcast on the internet at 3cr.org.au. Both the BZE Community Show and this show are now also available on iTunes and Stitcher. Please subscribe and rate us to help others find the shows. My name is Natalie Bucknell. Audrey Zibelman, CEO and Managing Director of the Australian Energy Market Operator, spoke recently at the Global Smart Energy Summit. Her presentation is a great overview of the transition of our energy system in Eastern Australia. So we're replaying it for you on the show today. Audrey moved from the US to join AEMO in March 2017 after more than 30 years international experience in the public, private and not-for-profit energy sectors. You may have heard that she's recently announced her intention to finish up with AEMO at the end of the year and take up a role with Google X. Audrey has made an invaluable contribution at a critical time in the transition of our power system. In only three years in the role, she's contributed significant change by focusing on items of importance and treading that delicate and diplomatic path between the various stakeholders in our energy system. The session began with Audrey's presentation and later moved to questions. Listen carefully to her opening comment of what she sees as the task for AEMO. As uh, the Australian energy market operator, we get to offer a slightly different perspective. And, and really for us, it's the perspective of actually how Australia in many ways is leading the transition and really what the hard work is ahead of us in order to decarbonize the power sector and really and support actually decarbonization of all sectors. So today I'm gonna really focus on the Australian experience as we're seeing it and what we're gonna add actually to this conversation. So just starting off with really a, a the perspective from the someone who runs the power system. You know, one of the things about power systems is their complexity is actually increased by both their size and then the level of resources they're managing as well as the amount of people. So by all means, Australia is uh, probably one of the more complex systems to manage. We add 40,000 kilometers or transmission from Queensland down to, to Southeast Australia and including Tasmania, we have one of the longest and skinniest grids with the least amount of interconnections. And that makes it exceedingly complex by comparison you know, with 10 million customers in the same size in the US when we think about going from Maine all the right down to the tip of Florida, it's about a 146 million customers. So you have much more generation, much more transmission, many more interconnections, a lot more redundancy, and in many ways, not even as harsh a climate. So it's with that starting point that we are now sort of thinking about the transition and how we're going to manage it going forward. So in terms of that, the first thing that that's really changed for me is the pace of change. I started out in the industry in 1988. And you know, we used to talk about the energy industry as one of the slowest industries in the world, you know, decades to make even a minor change. Well, here in Australia, we're seeing a massive transition, not just in terms of generation supply use and like 
you know, going from coal to gas or something like that, but actually a very significant change in technology mix where we're going from fossil technology that's uh, synchronized to the power system to renewable technology that's inverter-based. In addition, we're going from technology that is uh, largely centralized to technology that is a, a huge mix of centralized and decentralized, meaning in particularly in terms of rooftop solar, as well as in fact, the size of the grid, because what, what we'll need to do as we think about moving into renewables is it's a much bigger system because of the landmass that's involved. So all of these things, but they're happening very quickly. So in our integrated system plan, what we've AMOs identified is that over the next 20 years, 63% of the coal fleet in, in Australia will retire just simply because of age. And as a result of the changed economics of resources, we expect that those resources will be uh, replaced by a combination of wind and solar and firming resources, which will be themselves a combination of uh, storage and natural gas, depending on the price of both. And more importantly, a very significant increase in distributed solar, the fastest in the world. And it's that change is happening so quickly that for us in Australia, we're finding that we're leading in many respects in how do you manage a power system with these changes in technology. So the big story in Australia that is around the, the uptake of rooftop solar. Right now, we have two and a half million systems. That was as of 2020. That's compared to 100,000 systems in 2010. We're essentially adding a generator almost every month or two months throughout the NEM. And right now, we uh, have 20% of our homes with rooftop solar, which is about one in three. The calculation we use, it's about a panel installed every six and a half minutes. And certainly from a per capita basis, we're, we're world leading in the amount of rooftop solar. And, and what for AEMA, what that means is it's a really changing the face of demand and how we use energy. Uh, last two weeks ago, or last week in South Australia, we saw some of our lowest ever demand. And with 2,400 homes putting on rooftop solar in South Australia every month, we expect by next year in 2021 in December, we'll have 36,000 more homes with rooftop solar, which means there will be times of year of the year that we have actually no demand for power from the, uh, from the grid which is a very challenging thing for us to think about how we manage. And we have to really now start thinking about the changes. So for, from a system operation standpoint, it's not a question of policy, but it's actually a question of reality of, of how do we change this very, very quickly changing power system. So I think the way to think about it always is to realize is that the power system itself is a very much a system of system. So for us, we think about it in, in sort of a tiered approach. One is how do you manage the physics of the power system? Because while we see this technology changing, the physics of power systems don't change. We need to make sure that the voltage is maintained, the frequency is maintained, it stays in balance, and we have enough reserves to deal with many, many different types of events. So understanding that is something that's extremely significant from an engineering perspective, and we're doing that both internally with our resources, domestically in working with our peers in the industry and internationally 
working with other global power system operators who are addressing the same things because not there's no engineering book out there that tells you how do you manage a power system with more than 50% renewables. But for AEMA, we're looking at that by 2030, we could be managing a system that has 70% of the energy provided by renewable energy regularly. So those are major issues. The second is thinking about resiliency. As we were just reminded in California, certainly Australia had its experience last summer. There are extreme climatic events that have a very significant impact on the power system. So as we think about the power system going forward, we need to recognize that we're going to see much higher temperatures than we've ever seen before, that those temperatures will affect the availability of resources. They'll also affect the demand for, uh, for people for cooling and other types of things. And we'll have other major events such as hurricanes and of course, bushfires that have to be addressed because the last thing we want is for people to feel vulnerable that their power is off when there's a bushfire. But the other thing that happens is as this, the entire economy becomes more and more electrified, the vulnerability increases. So understanding that and designing against this type of a system that's resilient is going to be critical. The other is to recognize that our regulation and markets are not really designed for the type of power system we're managing. And so in Australia right now, we're undergoing a reform evaluation through the Energy Security Board that's really thinking through and saying, yes, the markets that were designed for the last uh, you know, iteration of the power system were designed around a central power system with a lots of dispatchable generation and where you're really optimizing fuel. Now that we're thinking about power systems where they're essentially free electrons coming from renewables, but it's inverter-based and it's highly distributed, how do we make sure that the regulation and markets are going to be set so that we can take the, make the investment in the most cost-effective way and reduce prices to consumers? So thinking through that is exactly what we're doing through the Energy Security Board. The other major piece is the integration of storage. The, the future of the power system, because we're going to be depending on renewables and therefore weather as our biggest fuel source, means that we have to have the capability to store the energy. One of the major issues for AEMO right now is thinking through what happens in the afternoon when we have lots and lots of excess solar, more than we can absorb, and how do we shift that to the times of day when we actually need it. And so thinking about how we use storage how do we get value out of both the investments that individuals are making and we're making on the grid is going to be important. And how do we also store the wind so that we can also use that when it's, when it's most available and we're not spilling these resources in a way that's uneconomical. The other piece is really thinking about industry coupling. You know, as we think about electrification of vehicles, it's gonna be really important to think about smart charging. You know, one of the best things we could do is to make sure that we think about our, our incentives around charging of electric vehicles just during the times of day when we have a lot of excess solar. So how do we integrate in these policies so that we're thinking about how to use these assets better? Similarly with industry, it's gonna be a lot of flexible use and then the development of hydrogen. For Australia, we have a huge opportunity to create hydrogen hubs made out of green energy and actually using the electrolyzers as a way of storage and thinking about this in a very integrated way where hydrogen is both a fuel source 
It's an export source. It's a source of green steel, and it's a source of ba balancing the power system. The other piece that's, that's really critical is recognizing that there's going to be an exponential growth of data just by sort of order of magnitude. And again, Australia is a fairly small market by, by international market standards, but we do 2 million forecasts a day of wind and solar availability. That's every four seconds because it's constantly changing and we need to keep the grid in balance. We're also thinking, knowing that in order to manage these systems, we need to be in a market environment. The market needs to settle much more frequency. So we're looking, moving to a five-minute market. What that means for us is going from 90 million billion data reads a day, meter reads, to two, 2 trillion by 2025. So if you think about that across markets like in Europe and the U.S. and any other region which has much higher population, can understand the need to actually manage this data, get the information about the availability of resources. And thinking about this as, as really data is one of the vehicles that's gonna make these free electrons that much more efficient. And the last piece is cybersecurity. It's a, it's a reality of our times. And as we think more and more about a digital power system, it's important that we think about how cyber protections need to be in place both on the critical infrastructure and in, as well as in the smaller parts of the grid. Just by order of magnitude last year, um, the, the Australian Cybersecurity Center reported that there were over 2,000 um, cyber attempts in Australia with 35% of it on critical infrastructure. And again, so we, we can't guess at this and we need to be best in class at these things. But the good things that, that these are all the things that are underway and again, and, and for me, our areas where Australia is leading and thinking about how we're going to manage the system going forward. So the point is, you know, I think this is a, it's a very hopeful future. You know, historically, our, our problem was in the power system was always around the inefficiency when we had super peaks, those hot days in the summer where everyone's using their air con and we, we have trouble managing the system and we put ourselves in a position where we say, well, the only way we can keep balance is to reduce demand involuntarily. Well, we've solved these problems with demand response, with customers being able to shift their load, to use backup generation and things like that and markets that support that. We now, of course, in Australia are dealing with not just that issue, but minimum demand. So we will have days where in the afternoon we don't have enough usage and in the evenings we have too much usage in a way exactly what happened in California just a few weeks ago. So the question is how do we solve that using storage and other resources so we can shift usage. Some of the work that's going on in South Australia today is really world leading in, in learning how to shift demand in an aggregate way. But the, the goal, however, is, is where we can go which is to say that now that we have a true two-sided system, one that we have both the ability to manage demand effectively and to manage supply, we can actually use move to a much more effective and productive system and really start thinking about this as a way of increasing productivity on all sides of the meter secured by good data, good information, and the ability really for the, for the machine to work that much more efficiently. So that's, that is what essentially what we're working towards here. We have in Western Australia, what's called the Roadmap for Distributed Energy Resources. 
in the rest of the country, we're, we're rapidly looking at creating this two-sided market. And I think that what we'll see in the next several years is that Australia is actually leading in the capabilities that are going to be required to manage a decarbonized power system. So again, appreciate the opportunity to be here. I always like to be on the side of saying, well, yes, there are big challenges, but we're working through them and we're doing it in the right way. So thanks very much. If you've just tuned in, we're listening to Audrey Zibelman's presentation to the Global Smart Energy Summit. Following the initial presentation, Audrey was asked about her achievements in the role. So the things that I'm really pleased about are one is the work that we were able to do on the integrated system plan. The fact of the matter is the power system is a single machine. That's what it is. It's a bunch of different owners of generators and transmission and networks, and we all have our devices in the home. But in the end, it's a single machine with a lot of different owners. And when it was developed in the 50s and 60s and 70s here in Europe and the U.S., it was done by integrated monopolies who own the generation, own the transmission, and own the distribution networks, and thought of it as an engineering problem. And they decided what, what are they going to need for resources as they move forward. We're now in the process of having to rebuild the system with a very, very different technology. It's almost like building a new city. And you have to do it in a planned way. You have to understand where the, what kind of resources are going to be. Where are this, the commercial places? Where are the homes going to be? What roads do you need? How are we going to accommodate that? Where are the parks? And so that's essentially what we're doing in the power system. We're effectively rebuilding it for a very different technology. And so the fact that the Energy Council, when this was recommended by Dr. Finkel uh, several years ago, said, yes, that's something that needs to get done. And we've now begun to implement that at AEMA, where we've provided this roadmap of how we're going to manage the change, is one of the things that I'm most proud of. And what's what we've been able to do is apply engineering and economics and cut through the politics and really just talk about it in terms of what is actually happening on the power system using a collaborative process. And, and I think it's a, a sort of a vehicle that's going to continue to provide value as we get better at it, as people understand it, and we think about how to implement it. So that's that's something I'm very proud of. The other is the work, frankly, that my staff has done in terms of forecasting accuracy and how they've begun to include work in the areas of AI and machine learning in thinking about the accuracy. How do you think? How do we think about wind? How do we think about haze? Some of the things that are so critical and being ahead of it. And the third, I think, is, is really the relationships that we've formed with the industry and start and really continue to work towards. It's a difficult time. It gets frustrating at time. But we're, we're really trying to work to change the culture at AEMO to be outwardly facing, commercially oriented, and really working with our members. And, you know, it's, it's a work in progress. But it's something that I think, you know, I'm hoping will be enduring because, frankly, the complexity of these issues are huge. And, and when I, you know, we, when I talk to my counterparts internationally, they sort of shake their heads sometimes at what we're trying to do in Australia. But they also marvel. But it's, it's also recognizing that we can't do this alone. It has to be done in a collaborative way. And we have to be thoughtful because, frankly, they, you know, the electrons... Um, in fact, I heard Malcolm Turnbull say this once, they're, they have no moral. They're just going to do what they're going to do. And we have to make sure they work for us. And that's that's what this is all about. The facilitator went on to ask whether buy-in at state and federal levels of government are adequate to give confidence about plans for the power system. 
Look, I think it's really difficult because, you know, it's just uh, change is hard. It's not, it doesn't come easy. And so a lot of the um, vehicles have to change. How we think about cost benefit has to change. Um, thinking about it in terms of, are we looking at an integrated power system or a not an integrated power system? There's some decisions that, that we, we need to make as we move forward. What I'm finding, however, in the discussions with the states and federal government is the recognition that we need a planned system. We need to create these renewable energy zones because the most important thing we can do as we think about rebuilding the power system is reducing capital risks. So having uh, the ability for, for developers to understand where the resources are gonna go, what kind of resources are gonna need and have, and have the ability then therefore to develop their business plans is, is exactly what needs to happen. And I think um, my conversations with the states and the federal government, they absolutely know that because we have to do that. And the second piece is because it's not a choice, this is not a policy choice, these generators will retire because they're getting to the end of their useful life and they may even retire earlier than planned just because of the difficulties of, of operating in this environment. We have to build ahead of time. <clears throat> so we can't sort of wait. And so thinking about that will be important. I think the area that's gonna be critical as we you know, think about these infrastructure investments is how to support the communities going forward. This is, you know, there are communities that have uh, been home to, to coal generation and they need to be supported from the job perspective. And then the communities that are gonna be affected by the development of wind and solar and transmission will be affected and have to feel part of it and that their needs are also being recognized. So it's difficult, it's complicated, and, and we, we really need to be thoughtful about how we go about it so we understand its local impact as well as its uh, global impact. The next questions were about stranded assets and equity issues. Yeah, so I think two pieces. One is on the, on the issue of stranding. In our integrated system plan, I mean, we, we do scenarios around large uh, amounts of distributed energy resources going on the grid. So we, we developed the plan with the assumption that we're going to have high levels of DER and what we're trying to do is, is manage that so that we have the right combination of rooftop solar and, and uh, large-scale resources. So that's, that, that is part of integrated into the planning, which is why we need a plan. And it is a, it is a complicated issue. And one thing I didn't point out is it takes us less than 18 months to develop a large power system, but eight to 10 years to develop transmission. So understanding this discontinuity is, is an author other thing. In terms of low income, I think the issue of access is really critical. You know, we've always had universal access to power. That's that's sort of the harbinger of uh, modern society and something, you know, around the world where there are many people who still have no access. We recognize that energy poverty is one of the harshest forms of poverty. So, so doing that is really important. One of the things that we have to look at is market reform is how do we change the name of the game and think about how we could do things like community energy, where in fact you, you have a good portion of uh, vulnerable customers who may not be able to put roof uh, solar on the roof either because they don't have a roof because they're renters or they can't afford it. And how do we provide them access in other ways? And so their community energy, I think, is a, is a great way to do it. And programs in, uh, that's, that states and local governments can do are, are ways that you can tackle this issue so that only wealthy people or middle-class people can have solar on the roof and everybody else doesn't. And so uh, 
designing the programs now, I think are going to be very critical. And the controversial question being raised by many of the attendees, what does AEMO see as being the role for gas in the transition? Well, I think in our gas forecasts, we are to identify that in the mid-20s, we are going to need to have more gas supply. We are concerned about not having sufficient gas for heating and processing in the southeast of Australia. And so we will need to get gas developed. Uh, and we've identified several ways that we, we want to get there. Our traditional resources, we know, are running dry. And so we do need new, new sources of supply. In terms of gas power generation, which is the other side of it, you know, it really is going to be dependent on, on how what happens with batteries and storage and what happens with the price of gas and what kind of programs the governments might want to put in place to, to help manage the price of gas. What we're seeing is, uh, and it was highlighted in the Commonwealth's technology roadmap, is how do we get the price of storage down? And I think incentives around that make a lot of sense. And then the other side is, is that what do we need to do to keep the cost of gas supply down? Our, our ISP shows that gas will remain a significant portion of the power system going into the future. How big? It's, you know, Think of it as an accordion in the sense of, well, it really depends on what happens with battery storage, what happens to storage technologies, and what happens to the price of gas. We don't necessarily pick the technology, but we do know that at different price points, battery emerges a winner and, and or gas will emerge the winner. And that's, but, you know, from a consumer standpoint, and again, I, I just can't stress this enough, the amount of energy that we're going to be replacing over the next 20 years in Australia requires us to do everything we can to keep the price, to get the prices right and to make sure we're making the right types of investments so that, uh, and right meaning the most cost-effective so that we can actually then uh, achieve what we want to do is, is to have affordable electricity that is reliable, that is secure, and also meets our environmental expectations. And so being thoughtful about all of that is, is really critical. Audrey's final comment, after being thanked by the MC with no reference to climate change, was very telling. It's a job that we all have to do. One of my favourite sayings is, uh, we are the last generation on Earth that can combat climate change and we all have a responsibility to do it. So I'm glad to be continuing the, the work. Thank you. so much. Thank you. You've been listening to Audrey Zibelman, CEO and Managing Director of AEMO, speaking recently at the Global Smart Energy Summit. The Beyond Zero show is brought to you by the climate change solutions think tank, Beyond Zero Emissions, and is recorded in the studios of 3CR Melbourne and syndicated around Australia on the Community Radio Network. Previous episodes of the show are available on iTunes and Stitcher. Please subscribe to help others find the show. If you enjoy the program and can donate to help cover airtime costs and keep us on the air, please go to the BZE website and click on the donate button. Thanks for listening and we look forward to you joining us again next week. Beyond Zero Emissions is an internationally recognised climate solutions think tank that is focused on solutions, not problems. Become part of the solution by becoming a monthly base load supporter. Go to www.bze.org.au to find out more. bze.org.au You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.